Hello and welcome to Screen Cleaning, the show that shines a big old spotlight on all that is good in the entertainment industry. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And we are here each and every week on BYU Radio at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. You can download the podcast. Uh, just Google Screen Cleaning Podcast and you can catch up on some of our older episodes it's been a few weeks since we've started recording our episodes uh, in separate locations. Isn't that right, Cole? Quarantined edition extended longer than what uh, I originally thought it might. But the world is still in this state and the entertainment world is adapting. And so we've adapted with it. Right. And I mean, you'll you'll notice here in the news that we're going to share with you that movie theaters and Movie makers are adapting as well and still finding ways to make money or obviously movie theaters aren't making money. So let's talk about something that uh, is a bit of a controversy right now, Cole. Um, It's good news for movie makers, not so much for movie theaters. It's interesting. I read an article about this and the headline said the most controversial movie of the year is Trolls World Tour? Question mark. <laughs> and and due to nothing of the actual movie itself, right? Just very normal kids movie fare. But the way it is happening amid this crisis has started some controversy. And it's because movie theaters are not open. And Universal, the NBC Universal are the people that made it. Uh, they want people to be able to see this movie. And they want families to be able to, you know, come together in the coronavirus. And that's... The bright way to look at it. They also want to make money on this movie that they've already spent a lot of money marketing and animated movies are not cheap. They spent a lot of money making it. And so they put it out for premium video on demand. PVOD is a phrase that movie people need to become familiar with now because it is what is dominating this discussion. The question between getting premium video on demand or buying it or renting it or going to the theater to see it. And, I mean, if Universal had its way, it would start releasing a lot of its movies on PVOD simultaneously with showing it while showing it in movie theaters, which is not making some movie theater chains particularly happy. But Universal wants to do it because Trolls World Tour made about $100 million in its first three weeks. So it's pretty much already made more money than the first movie did, which did get a theatrical release. And this is what's exciting to the production companies is if they can cut out that middleman, because when you send a movie to theaters, yeah, you know, theaters don't get a ton from the actual ticket sales. They make their bacon from the concessions. We all know that. Do they wait? Do they make bacon uh, in the concession stand? I I hope that they will start. That's something that we could do. I want to know which one is selling bacon (laughs) anyway. And so they get their money from the concessions, but they do get a little cut of the ticket sales. And when it's premium video on demand, if the production company, if Universal can just give it straight to us, the consumer, they're cutting out the middleman and they're getting a more direct portion of the quote unquote ticket sales of the people watching the movie. They get a bigger chunk of it. They don't have to share. So it's interesting. AMC seems to be the biggest chain that is taking on this stance of, well, if you're not going to put your if you're not going to solely show your movies in our movie theaters we're just not going to show universal movies it's an interesting time for amc to take such a strong stance because uh you know 
there have been articles that we've been reading about how how much they're in dire straits. But I can understand why they're upset because, I mean, that's that's taking away a significant amount of their business. I can understand why Universal would want to start doing PVOD because, yeah, they're making a lot of money doing it, right? And Regal has joined AMC a little bit. They've said that they will also not be showing any movies that do not respect the widely accepted theatrical release window. And when they say all of that, what they mean is that normally when you put out a new movie, you let it stay in theaters for 90 days, about three months at least, before you start sending it out on Redbox and marketing again, going through another wave of reminding people that your movie exists and having people rent it and then you can buy it and then eventually it goes to cable or Netflix or whatever your specific streaming platform is. That 90-day window is where theaters make their money. And, and in, you know, in the past, it's made sense for production companies as well to have that window because they would rather have you pay $10 a head at the theater and get a good chunk of that money rather than the two bucks at Redbox that it takes. But if they can get you to premium video on demand it for $20 or buy it for $25, then they're getting even more potentially. And and so this is, there's a lot of economic stuff going into it and it's not going away because the Warner Brothers company is going to step into this ring when Scoob is released in a similar fashion in just two Uh weeks. And so it's not just Universal that's going to be under the eye of all these theater owners. Uh, WB, uh, those are the folks that are bringing us new Harry Potter movies, new DC Comics movies. Uh, You know, they've got Wonder Woman coming out soon. And Universal, it's worth noting as well, they still want, ticket sales at the movie theater because that's where you get a lot of your repeat viewing on big blockbusters and they did push back the new Fast and Furious movie which is a big summer kind of blockbuster that's going to make even more money. They pushed it back to next year because I I still think in their mind they think that theatrical release movies are going to make more money. You know, again, Trolls World Tour probably doesn't make this much if there's competition, right? This is good news, yeah. and and it is like breaking premium video on demand records. But at the end of the day, it's also the only new movie we've gotten, and it's <laughs> it's a family movie. Parents have been locked up with these kids who can't even get off to school for months now, and it just came out at the right time. I think we have to see these kind of numbers in a normal world before all studios go in this direction. You've got to take it with a troll-sized grain of salt, I guess. Thank you. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who comes out on top in this debate, the the uh, movie theaters or the movie studios. I like to think that I'm, as a parent of young children, am going to come out on top because um, I'm not spending $20 on Trolls World Tour unless I'm buying it for $20, right? I don't want to pay $20 to watch it once or twice with my kids, although my kids have seen it and they enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah, wait, you you say that you're not going to do that, but didn't you do that? (laughs) No, no. uh, I have an in-law who decided to rent it and they went over there to watch it. Gotcha. So they didn't get my money, Cole. It is worth noting, I I mentioned 20 or 25, when Scoob comes out, it's $20 to rent or $25 to own. And so if you think there's any remote possibility that it's decent, 
the the cheap person in me says, just go ahead and buy it, right? Sure, for five bucks more. You know, it's interesting because there are some filmmakers that were taking a stance on a pretty controversial issue. They have been for the past couple of years in this debate on whether or not a streaming movie should be award worthy, right? Whether mm-hmm. or not it can win an Academy Award. Spielberg Steven Spielberg the feels very movie. strongly that it should not, right? However, I wonder if people like Steven Spielberg will be kind of backing off the the gas here a little bit in this argument because out of necessity, if nothing else, the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences is having to adjust some of their guidelines, if not, if only temporarily. Right, Cole? Yes, yes, yes. So this is just for this year. But all movies that are released, they're, they're ter- currently uh foregoing the requirement that it has to play in a theater in Los Angeles for seven days. There's a lot of like very technical things that you have to accomplish in order to be Oscar worthy for that year. And they are just walking that back a little bit for our current time. And I feel bad for Spielberg because this is, I understand his argument and it's just not a good time to be on the other side of this because this is the only way we can get our movies right now. But sure. But because this is a a catastrophe and because all of this is happening, we are moving in a direction that he didn't want, you know, where movies are being seen on smaller screens and you're not getting the true cinematic experience. Uh, We will see how the world comes back around once we can be in theaters again. um, The Oscars thing again, temporary for this year, but we will see. Can you imagine if uh, they kept the same guidelines as always? That would mean that uh, Emma, the Invisible Man, and Sonic the Hedgehog would all be winning Academy Awards you, this year. <laughs> you are you are doubting Bad Boys for Life, my friend. Oh, that I is... forgot about Bad Boys for Life. <laughs> That's all we've got so far. Yeah, yeah. It'll be an interesting year at the Oscars, even even with these guidelines changing. It'll be interesting to see how many of the actual awardsy kind of movies even come out and and what the state of theaters will be right now it's looking like even if we do get back into theaters sometime in 2020 it'll be you have to sit every other seat or every other other seat and and uh, movies are are in a in a time yeah you know and disney was another company that that got hit big with this when they released onward and a couple of weeks later, nobody could go to the movie theaters anymore. So they very quickly released it onto Disney Plus. And now we're starting to see articles about some of the uh, the guidelines that Disney, the Disney parks are suggesting for reopening once the coronavirus crisis improves. And some of those guidelines that they're suggesting are all of the employees will wear masks and gloves. They will have their temperature taken every day they come to work. And if, they, if they're at 100.4, they will be sent home. There will be markers in the uh, stanchions and lines to, to get on rides to make sure that people are within the appropriate distance of each other. And uh, yeah, they're, they're also talking, this is kind of the biggest one. They're talking about starting at uh, 50% capacity instead of allowing for 100% capacity. And then we'll see some incremental uh, increase there with 75% capacity. Is it worth the electricity of running those rides if you can only get half the people on? 
It's a good question, but Cole, I mean, they have all of these new lands and worlds that they're working on. I mean, Star Wars World just opened up, and I think they're having a frozen world. So this is, they got to start paying for that somehow, right? I mean, this seems like, for me, who doesn't exactly like crowds, this seems like the only time I would like to go to Disney parks is if they're only allowing half the people. I don't know how I win the lottery to be able to get on the list of the only half capacity that they let in, but if I can, I'd go. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's interesting, too, because Disney is not the only company that is adjusting. We've been seeing talk show hosts that are changing the format We've been seeing movie companies that are changing the format of how their movies are sold and viewed. And now we're also seeing some reunions that are popping up on TV in an effort to raise money for such and such a charity, right? I mean, a week or two ago, we talked about the cast members from That Thing You Do coming together for a a charitable cause. The O'Neaters. And... Yes, the Oneaters, excuse me. Um, And now we've seen a Parks and Rec reunion. Now, Cole, I know that you're not, uh, you have not watched Parks and Rec. I've seen every single episode. So this tickled my fancy for sure, because all of the original cast members and some of the later cast members like Rob Lowe made an appearance on this Parks and Rec reunion for a charitable cause. And this is one of the many things that is putting a smile on people's faces while they're stuck at home, seeing some of their favorite characters back together again, all in the same place. And uh, yeah, we're in a kind of a unique time, Cole, because usually we have to search pretty hard for some good news or some positive or uplifting news that is coming out of Hollywood. And right now, most of it seems to be pretty good. And this is just another example of that. I missed out on the Parks and Rec reunion, but I did catch the Goonies. And when they got together with Josh Gad, who apparently just has connections in Hollywood to be able to get everyone, they they not only brought back all of the cast, that, and including folks that have been out of Hollywood for years and years now, they brought back Steven Spielberg, who produced it. They brought back you know the directors, a couple of the older guys that were cast members in it. And it's the first time and and it seems like it's the only time that we could do something like this. A lot of folks are staying home from work and that actually includes a lot of actors that would normally be way too busy to sit down and do these kind of reunions. Everyone's got a little bit more time on their hands and we can enjoy the fruits of that. Cole, my eyes perked up when they announced that Cindy Lauper was joining the (laughs) Zoom chat which was amazing because I, I watched all of these people on the screen at the same time. And the thought occurred to me, you know, I bet this is the first time all of these people have been together since the movie was made. Yeah, they I mean, they've done a ton of reunions uh, in Astoria, Oregon, you know, that they show the movie and they have these the, the reunions and all of some of the cast members get together. But I doubt all of these people have been together all at one time. So it was it was it was probably the best reunion I've seen of a cast of an old movie. Some might call these things gimmicky, but these people are doing this out of necessity, right? They need to keep making money. They need to keep people employed. So I applaud them for doing that. <laughs> Speaking of something that is a little more gimmicky, though, we've seen an example of this on Netflix before with one of your favorite uh, episodes of television, right? Cole with, 
the Black Mirror label slapped on it. Oh, yeah, sure. So uh, a couple of years ago, it, it was right around New Year's Day where Black Mirror released Bandersnatch, which was a choose-your-own-adventure television episode where you could click through on Netflix and guide the course of the protagonist like the old choose-your-own-adventure books, only instead of having to flip to page 90 if you do follow the creepy old man down the pathway into the <laughs> woods or turn to page 104 if you don't, uh, you just have to click a button and it takes you there. Yeah, so uh, Netflix is actually coming out with another choose-your-own-adventure special, this time with the comedy series Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And they just released a trailer for it, and it's, I mean, it's just like Bandersnatch. (laughs) You just get to choose what you want the protagonist to do. And uh, I... I think it's kind of fun, Cole, especially if you're a fan of these franchises and these these uh, series. There, there is something unique to be had here, and I think it's a, it lends itself to a really fun, unique experience. Netflix has done it with kids shows before. I really loved the serious way that they did it with Bandersnatch, but. If I'm honest, this seems to like it'll work really well with Kimmy Schmidt because it's just goofy and self-aware. And I think that they will have a lot of fun um, putting this together. And wouldn't you know it, uh, Harry Potter himself (laughs) is going to be a part of this movie slash special. So you might want to tune in, especially if you're a Harry Potter fan. Um, Daniel Radcliffe, to be more precise. Right. But it, it's interesting, Cole, that we have these really kitschy, unique, gimmicky ways of consuming this content, because when we return, we're actually going to talk about some additional content that is trying, it's, it's trying something new, Cole, and only time will tell if it's going to pay off, but we want to talk about the new streaming platform, Quibi. And we'll explain what that is when we return and why it's even called Quibi. That's up next here on Screen Cleaning. That's going to be, you know, a fascinating transition. Anyone that was watching MTV in the early 2000s is going to recognize that theme song immediately. It is Ashton Kutcher's Punked. And although although uh, Dude Where's My Car Guy is not back himself, punked is, but in a new platform, and that is on Quibi. So what the heck's a Quibi? Quibi is, uh, is a uh, mixture of two words, Cole, quick and bites. And you get so Quibi. So Quibi would be the oh, yeah. phonetical pronunciation. Yeah, but it's Quibi. And uh, <laughs> this is... Basically, every episode of each of these series is going to be 10 minutes or less, right? So how does that work exactly? How do you how do you establish characters that you can care about or how do you, you know, get plotting down and and pacing when you're when you only get 10 minutes or less, Cole? Well, Quibi is trying to figure it out and they went in big with this format. This is a platform a mobile platform mobile video platform that uh, was founded a couple years ago by jeffrey katzenberger and he went all in on this 
he spent almost two billion dollars to to start creating the the platform and get all of these series going. They have some big names. And uh, yeah, so Cole and I spent some time. We signed up for the free trial. That's that's something you should know right off the bat. I've never seen a free trial last three months, Cole. As far as uh, video streaming is concerned, I've never seen a free trial last three months. I mean, it's unfortunate that this episode is happening today because that offer ended uh, yesterday. So if you have a time machine, go back in time to when it was April and sign up for that three-month free trial because three-month free trial. I think I said that right. Anyway, starting now, it's just two weeks, which is normal. And they release uh, episodes a day at a time. However, there's an episode of something coming out every day. Hmm. So they have all sorts of series on here. They've got scripted dramas. They've got scripted comedies. They've got a lot of reality content. And so Cole and I got our toes a little bit wet in the Quibi pool. And we checked out some of these shows that they are offering. And uh, I'll start with the show that, uh, you know, the the format of the show is certainly not new, but uh, what on earth is Chrissy Teigen or Teigen? I'm not even that familiar with her, Cole. All I know is that she's married to John Legend. What on earth is she doing as a judge on the show Chrissy's Court? This is very much like any other small claims court show although it has to move a lot faster and the editing, I hope they paid the editor well because they only have about six minutes for every episode and they've got to, they've got to open and close a case. And they're very, it's very tongue in cheek because during the intro to the show, they basically spell out that she has no qualifications to be dishing out these judgments. But the first episode, it's very clear that this is a family affair because her mom is the bailiff, quote, the bailiff. And uh, it, it had, uh, had to do with music, this first case did. And so they brought in a music expert. And who do you think that music expert was going Gee, to be? Could it have possibly affair? have been John Legend in the first episode yes. of it to drum up so, some support and interest? So he comes on the show. And then after, at the end of the episode, you hear this little girl's voice from the audience saying, you did a good job, mommy. And so <laughs> even their kids are a part of it. So again, like I said, it's nothing unique. Um, but if you want, I guess, a bit of a chuckle, you know, I think the whole premise of this format is, you know, people only want a few minutes to watch something to pass the time while they're, you know, waiting for their fast food or while they're in the bathroom. Let's be honest. A lot of people are doing that. <laughs> But uh, of all the shows I'm going to talk about today, that was the least of the ones that I saw. Well, I'll I'll go with the one that used the format, I think, the best first. And that's where I started with the theme song from Punked. Punked is back now with Chance the Rapper, who is diving into every aspect of entertainment right now. He's very acclaimed in the musical world, but he was in a movie a couple years ago called Slice, kind of a horror comedy about a werewolf delivery guy, and that was a fun movie. Now he is filling the Ashton Kutcher 
feature role where he goes around to his friends and he punks them. If you've seen Punked, it hasn't changed. Uh, it's just in slightly smaller segments. Although, when you think back, Ashton Kutcher would punk a few people per episode. And so this 7 to 10 minute window is about how long it takes to set things up, say what's going to happen, and then hidden camera see, you know, his friends get punked. It works just like it used to. It's fun to see people freak out, and Quibi does it. (laughs) Well, another uh, reality show that I want to talk about is called Thanks a Million. So this one kind of has an interesting premise. And again, it only it's only in about seven minutes. And the premise really is these 10 celebrities are donating $100,000 each. Hence, when you add that up, that's a million. So thanks a million. Hmm. And the first episode was with Jennifer Lopez. She gave $100,000 to this family in need. And the catch is that that family has to basically take 50 grand of that 100 grand and give it to somebody else. And then that somebody else has to take that 50 grand and split that with somebody else. And so basically two families get $25,000 while another family gets $50,000. It's a little heartwarming. I think it it gets criticized a little bit for being a little self-congratulatory because these celebrities are giving away money. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's an interesting premise and, uh, it's, it's good to see that people are getting help when it's needed and in a very kitschy, unique way too. So that's thanks a million. The most heartwarming and feel good show, um, almost movie thing that I watched was I Promise, which is a documentary that tells the story of LeBron James, the basketball player's I Promise school that he started in Akron, Ohio. This is, again, a a person with a lot of money giving back to a community. And and the story when it happened, I loved because I love basketball and I also you know, love public education and having better schools out there for people. Uh, LeBron took it upon himself to go and and find a district in need from his hometown, you know, an area that he grew up in and saw a lot of people, you know, kids that he grew up with drop out of school. Um, He wants to give back to his community. And he did this with I Promise. They divide what feels like an almost documentary movie up into these quibby bits. And so... It's more that you're watching parts of a movie at a time as opposed to a whole self-contained quibby in seven minutes. But it works for this one. And and something I want to highlight in I Promise, uh, in, in addition to its message and how cool LeBron is, is the way that it's filmed. So Quibi is specifically a mobile streaming service. You can't get it on your smart TV yet. You can't even pull it up on your computer. It's specifically for your phone when you just have seven minutes and you want to watch something, right? That's their shtick. But also, you can hold your phone, you know, vertically or horizontally. And the way this I Promise was filmed is if you watch it like a movie, the landscape-wise, you can see the full version. But if you have it held upside down, sometimes they put it into panels where you're seeing, you know, whoever's talking, but they also just kind of have B-roll going on below it. They have two different edited versions of this almost that are going depending on which way you hold your phone. I love that they're embracing the mobile aspect, and I thought that was worth highlighting. 
I will note, though, that, uh, yeah, if you hold it vertically, you're, a lot of the picture is going to be cut off. So and, keep and see, that for, in mind. For, for, a, for a show like I Promise, right, it's a documentary. It's mainly just like someone talking. So you can see their sure. face and you just don't get all that negative space that's on either side. And so when you're holding it vertically, sometimes it's their whole face kind of takes it up. Sometimes they put it into two different panels. All the other shows that I watched whenever I would switch the the you know orientation uh, on my phone, it would just kind of crop it. Whereas this one looked like they were putting effort into you know, how they how they showed this show. Sure. So, Cole, you and I have seen there are plenty of cooking shows. They're kind of really popular right now with the great British Bake Off. You've also got Nailed It on Netflix where, you know, you get to see these amateur uh, chefs try to recreate these dishes. And uh, there's a new show on Quibi called Dishmantled where it's a similar concept where these people have a very limited amount of time to try to recreate a meal, but they don't get to see the meal presented to them. They get the meal shot at them out of a cannon of sorts, (laughs) and they have goggles and a jumpsuit on, and then they have to go around this, uh, this little tank and try to pick up scraps of the food and taste it. And, then they have to try to recreate the meal based solely on <laughs> sight and taste oh of just this big splattered mess. And I love this. it's hosted by Titus Burgess, speaking of unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and they get 30 minutes to try to recreate this meal. Now, each episode, again, is only about six or seven minutes long. The The downside of this, though, is I don't, think that these chefs are amateurs i think they're professional chefs and they're really just what ended up happening in the episode i watched anyway is that you know they couldn't pinpoint what it was exactly and so they just ended up preparing a dish that was already in their wheelhouse and then whoever got the most number the highest number of ingredients correct that was the winner and they win five thousand dollars but it's just such a wacky funky concept that I had to check it out and uh, it's kind of fun. See, an an underrated part of my childhood television watching that I don't get to talk about on Screen Cleaning Enough is on Dish Network channels 110 through 112, right? Food Network, DIY, and HGTV. My dad is really big on like crafts and, and he would watch those channels a lot and I would be in the room too. And I love weird cooking shows, and I love fixer-upper kind of shows as well, and and they have one of these on Quibi. Uh, Each episode is kind of in three Quibis, so it's basically a 22-minute show that they've just put onto Quibi, and where you would normally have a commercial break, it's just you know, a different episode for for all intents and purposes. But it's called Murder House Flip. Um, you know, general concept of, you know, this new couple just moved into a house and they want to fix it up a little bit. And so our two fixer-uppers, not to be confused with the actual show called Fixer-Uppers, but it's the best <laughs> way to call them. They come in and they fix up the house, right? The Design on a Dime did this. Plenty, plenty of shows that do this concept. But the twist here is all of the houses that they're coming into were scenes of gruesome murders. And either the current owners knew or in the second episode, they did not know. They were lied to by their realtors that this was the location of such a tragic thing. And now they want to, like, 
forget that it happened. You know, they they go in and they take out the hardwood and put something new in so that they have fixed up this house that was the site. It, it combines one of my two weird obsessions, and that's horror, true crime, and HGTV fix-up shows. It was so okay. fun. Murder House Flip. Interesting. Murder House Flip. So we've been seeing clip shows for a very long time. We've we've grown up, Cole, with America's Funniest Home Videos, America's Funniest People, and uh, both of which were were hosted by cast members from Full House, by the way, uh, Dave Coulier and Bob Saget. Once the internet came along, though, we just started getting these kind of things every single day, and shows like this became obsolete. Yeah, and some of those some of those video clips are were probably not the most authentic. Uh, some of them were probably staged. But there is another show on Quibi called Memory Hole, and it is hosted by Will Arnett. The Memory Hole, this idea that uh, this this content that exists in this void, you know, it, it's content that people would like to forget or that it's embarrassing and so people would like to hide. And so Will Arnett digs up this content and pre- presents it in a very America's Funniest Home Video type of way with a lot of jokes mixed in there. And uh, it's interesting because of all of these shows so far, this seems like the most conducive to this format. <laughs> you know, just this quick five minutes. Here are some funny YouTube videos that, you know, you've never seen. And it was actually pretty funny. However, I read an article saying that this show is being accused of plagiarism because back in 2007, there was another show uh, with a similar format, same title, similar graphics. And uh, Memory Hole has yet to respond, but probably not a good sign. But it was interesting, so watch it while you can, because it was kind of funny. I mean, that Memory concept hold. is not new. Like you said, you'd right. think it wouldn't be too hard to just slap a different title on it so that you are sure that you have a unique idea. <laughs> um, I, I really do. I think these kind of reality or reaction or, or whatever genre we've been talking about shows fit best to these small bit things because the one scripted show I watched was 50 States of Fright, which starts off with an amazing concept where all 50 of the United States have these cool, you know, urban legend folklore stories that go along with them. And we're going to tell that story. But it's not really a quibby. Like I mentioned with uh, Murder House Flip, you get like five minutes and then you go to a commercial break anyway. 50 States of Fright seems like just a 22-minute show that was pitched all across, you know, the the different streaming platforms or cable networks, and Quibi picked it up, and they just put out, you know, the individual Quibis are just the spaces in between the commercials, because when you add up the three parts that make up each big episode, it's basically just a 22-minute show. And the production Hmm. value isn't amazing, maybe because it's designed to be watched just on your phone instead of on the TV. I expect a little bit more from a scripted show where they're recreating these old folklore stories. And 
it's the one I think I had the highest hopes for. I was most excited by the concept, and I was most let down by. Oh, that's too bad, Cole, especially since you're such a big horror fan. Yeah. Well, there there are other quick bites that you can check out. The one last one that I want to mention specifically is Run This City. And it's about this young mayor in this uh, small Massachusetts town, 23 years old, the youngest mayor in that town's history, also one of the youngest mayors in the entire country of a town that size. And he's, you can see why this guy would be elected mayor. And uh, the whole premise of this first episode is, is this guy a really good mayor or is he a really good con artist? Because he also, while he's uh, running for reelection in this, in his hometown, he is also facing wire fraud and extortion charges. So I am really curious to see where this story goes. I didn't know about this young man before I started watching, but of all of the the quibbies that I watched, this is the one that I definitely plan on going back and finishing because it's pretty entertaining. It is a documentary, but uh, it's in a very fast pace. The interview subject is extremely entertaining. So maybe he is a, a bit of a con artist because He's convinced me to finish this series. It's called <laughs> Run This City. So overall, Jeffrey, would you recommend Quibi? Were you hooked? Or do you have enough that you're going to keep watching and, and maybe even renew it beyond its three-month free trial? It seems like an awful lot of money to dump into a service that really is kind of a niche and has kind of a narrow demographic, right? I really feel like this is geared toward a younger audience, clearly because it's meant specifically for a mobile platform. And uh, I wouldn't recommend it to families because there are so many scripted series we could have mentioned, Cole, that just are not family-friendly. All of their big marquee series uh, with the big names, Academy Award winners in them, Mm -hmm. are all series that are rated mature tv mature right mm-hmm. so we didn't get to some of them but yeah and um, i can also mention that there were blood and guts in 50 states of fright and anyone that had watched punked or anyone that's seen anything on mtv in general knows that it's not exactly i mean they bleep out the worst of the swear words but there's still plenty of language that you don't want kid kids watching Yeah. Let's just say, Cole, I don't believe I will be paying for this when my three-month subscription ends. But I might check out a thing or two during that free trial. They've got three months to convince you. I wouldn't write it off yet. Okay. And they're releasing stuff every single day, so maybe you're right, Cole. Speaking of different formats and kitschy, unique, gimmicky formats... Something that is not unique is the talk show, right, Cole? But nowadays, celebrities are are trying to come up with different ways to interview their friends and different ways to have these talk shows that they hope will get people watching. And that's what we want to talk about when we return here on Screen Cleaning. I just got punked. I'm Sean White, and I just got punked. I'm Kim Kardashian, and I just got punk. Yeah! I'm Tyler, and I just got punk. Yeah! yeah! <laughs> Do you guys mind if we listen to a bit of music? Yeah, what have we got? Yeah, okay. Yeah. 
Jeffrey, we often show our ages on this show in the kinds of movies and television and music that we like. And so I wanted to throw something out there for the kids. That was One Direction when they were on James Corden's Carpool Karaoke. Now, he does that as part of his Late Late Show, uh, where it's an interview with a twist. And one of the Quibi shows that we didn't mention that's one of their premier ones that they put out there is Cup of Joe, where Joe Jonas, the singer and part of the Jonas Brothers, another group that the kids like, I think, will go around to cities and interview people in a short, quibby format. It's an interview with a twist as he's traveling or doing other things. And so we wanted to spend just a little bit of time here looking at some other short form interview shows that are more than just a guy behind a desk talking to someone on a couch uh, where they have some kind of a cool gimmick to them. I think the one for me that I was most excited about was Hiking with Kevin. This is something you can watch on YouTube for free. You can subscribe to the channel. And if you're not familiar with the Kevin in the title, it's Kevin Nealon of Saturday Night Live fame, right? And really, you you know what you're getting yourself into with Hiking with Kevin because he it's a talk show where he's interviewing celebrities while they're hiking in some canyon in Los Angeles, right? And he has some really big stars on this show. I mean, he's got Oscar winners. He's got stand-up comedians, some fellow uh, former SNL cohorts there with him. He hosted, or uh, he interviewed both Donnie and Marie Osmond, individually, by the way, on two different episodes. (laughs) And it's just really entertaining, and it's such a great concept. I don't know if it's the quarantine or if I just feel like in general I need more exercise, or if it if it means that I really like hiking. But every time I watch this, I'm entertained by the stories that are shared and the anecdotes that are shared. But also the entire time I'm thinking, man, I really want to go hiking. And as he's introducing the show, he's always saying, okay, get your candy bars and let's go hiking together. So he's almost inviting you to go hiking with them. So maybe he just figures you're going to listen to it while you're hiking. But Maybe the next time I go hiking, I will put on some headphones and listen to Hiking with Kevin. I think comedians take to this concept really easily where they're thinking outside the box already. And it's just naturally funny to listen to funny people talk to other funny people, right? Just general interview shows aren't always the most interesting, but even just a simple talk show can be elevated by people being funny. And that's what happens, I think, in Paul F. Tompkins' Speak Easy, where he very specifically talks to other comedians about their journey and can speak their language. He remembers, you know, all the same haunts and and he kind of went through a similar path in his own career. And so he can relate and and remember what it was like being a a stand-up comic where no one really likes you at first and then you find a break and or or whatever the journey is with his specific guest. And he does it all while very dapperly dressed and in a a fancy-looking speakeasy like a bar, sitting at a bar drinking very fancy alcohol uh, while talking to funny people. Interesting. Okay. And so it's called Speak Easy, Mm -hmm. right? With Paul F. Tompkins. You know, you've heard of this one before, but again, it has an interesting format. Uh, It's Jerry Seinfeld's Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. 
And yeah, they each episode, they're driving a different car and sometimes very unique or expensive cars. And they're driving in a car together while being interviewed and they're on their way to a coffee shop to get coffee. So again, the title says it all, right, Cole? So an opportunity for a very funny man to interview other very funny people and you get to hear their interesting anecdotes presented to you in a very unique way. Comedians in cars getting coffee. I love when food is involved and if there's a funniest food that you could have while you're interviewing something, it's definitely progressively hotter hot wings. And that's what the show Hot Ones does, where they have... the And the host gets in on it, too. He's eating the hot wings along with the guests, but uh, he's good at it. And not every just entertainment person that's there to pitch and, and show for something is experienced in eating hot, hot wings. And so it's fun while he's just asking them very typical interview kind of questions with, with a couple of fun twists. Uh, they're going crazy because they've just bit into the hottest hot wing of their life. And some of them accidentally touch their eyes and some of them need to down tons of milk. Some of them are good. Some of them are interesting. It's just... It takes what is just a very normal interview show and makes it interesting and worth watching. This is if if anyone, you know, if I want to hear about someone's life, I try to find their interview that they did on Hot Ones as opposed to one that they just do on any other show. Yeah. Cole, this was news to you. Um, It certainly wasn't to me because I watched this show when it was on Comedy Central originally in the early 2000s. At one point, it was the most popular show on Comedy Central, and it was an interview show, but with a bit of a twist, right? You've got real-life celebrities being interviewed by this character named Jiminy Glick, which is a ridiculous name, and he's kind of a ridiculous character, and that's all he is, really. He's not a real person interviewing real-life celebrities he is Martin Short in disguise as prime or as Jiminy Glick in this big fat suit and all this latex. And the way that he speaks is so interesting, Cole, because he has one of the biggest vocal ranges I've seen on somebody's or I've heard in somebody's speaking voice where one minute he could be speaking very high like this. And then the next second, he could be speaking very low like this. <laughs> and that is his pattern of speech. And he's not a very good interviewer because he mostly likes to talk about himself or he gets distracted very easily, sometimes with little anecdotes by throwing in some old Hollywood name that people have forgotten, or usually because he'll pick up a giant bowl of of jujubes and he'll shove them in his mouth or he'll cram an entire thing of donuts in his mouth. Very funny, very worth checking out. Some of his sketch work in between the interviews wasn't as funny as the interviews themselves. If you're looking for a great place to start though, look for the interview that he does with Jerry Seinfeld or even Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Cole, I, I don't think you and I are probably aware that these shows that we talked about on Quibi are probably not going to go on to win all sorts of awards, right? 
We've been talking a lot about the AFI on screen cleaning, which is the American Film Institute. These are films that have won awards or that are culturally significant or had huge box office numbers. And uh, last week, Cole and I made a commitment to watch a film that, you know, by now we probably ought to have seen this film. And when we return, we're going to talk about a couple of movies that uh, we've been meaning to watch. That's up next on Screen Cleaning. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, 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 sure. Do how ones they said. It'll be fine, they said. Huh. huh. I've, I've been, been meaning, meaning to, to watch, watch that. that. Cole, what movie have you been meaning to watch? Well, from our AFI list last week, it was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Apparently, one of the greatest westerns of all time. I would go as far to say one of the great buddy movies of all time because more than the western aspects more than the the shoot 'em ups and and the horses that they ride off and almost into the sunset if if it weren't for that freeze frame at the very very end it's more the interaction between Robert Redford and Paul Newman Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid that make this such a great movie when i was watching it i i thought of and and this will sound weird but i'll explain it a few good men because the first time I watched A Few Good Men, I thought it was just another courtroom drama. I didn't see what was so special about it. But upon watching it over and over, you see just the little interactions and the way the dialogue is used so well and Aaron Sorkin, Aaron Sorkin everywhere. And and now it's <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies, too. And about halfway through Butch Cassidy, I was thinking, I've seen a lot of Westerns. I grew up on Gunsmoke and The Virginian, and, and this just seems like another Western. But the more I watched, the more I pay attention, the more I appreciated all the little things that were elevating this above just everything else. Because it it's in a genre that was saturated, but by 69, I think they had a good idea of what made a great Western, and it really was these two characters that they highlighted Based. I mean, it's a true story, more or less, but the way that they embellished was fantastic. I really enjoyed Butch Cassidy. Well, good. I was tasked with watching the 1933 film King Kong. And Cole, I've got to say, I mean, this is no surprise that the graphics almost 100 years later are probably a little outdated, right? They look beautiful. And maybe the the style of acting is probably a little melodramatic. Um, but I mean, those were things that were popular at the time as far as the acting is concerned. I couldn't shake the feeling, though, as I was watching it, that, man, I bet when this movie came out in 1933, people were freaking out by these graphics and what they were seeing on the screen because there's a lot of carnage and mayhem and... Some graphics that, again, in 1933, I'm sure people would have thought, how on earth are they doing this? This is amazing. And even today, almost 100 years later, you know, cheesy graphics aside, the hammy acting aside, there are some moments in this movie that are actually genuinely disturbing. Um, Kills in this movie by King Kong and some of the fights between all these different monsters are kind of rather disturbing. Um, There are some truly iconic scenes and images in this movie that you can see why, after almost 100 years, those images and scenes continue to live on. But for me, I probably won't ever watch 1933's King Kong ever again. 
as we slowly tick off movies that we should have watched off the AFI's top 100 lists. And if you want to check out our thoughts on that list, go back to our podcast and check out the episode from last week. Uh, there were some movies that I had seen that Jeff hadn't or Jeff had seen that I hadn't, and we checked those couple off this week. I, of course, love King Kong, and Jeff has been a fan of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, but there were a few that we were both missing, one of which ranked number 11 on the list, and it's a classic, and we're gonna... I've been meaning to watch it for next week, and that's City Lights, with Charles, directed by Charlie Chaplin. But before then, to wrap up today's show, we want to do a little panning for good. There's good in them dire hills. <laughs> Cole, you and I are both huge fans of Paddington 2. And there is a story that I came across that I simply had to mention because it's very heartwarming and also very funny. There is this four-year-old child who is such a huge fan of Paddington 2 who also happens to be suffering with cancer at the moment. This little boy named Henry is dancing along with the final number of the film, (laughs) and he is teaching his dad the dance. And it's so cute to watch these two figuring it out. And uh, I was so tickled when Hugh Grant saw this post and responded in character as Phoenix Buchanan, his villainous role from the film. Uh, It was about a 40-second clip, and I believe we've got that. Hello, Henry. Phoenix Buchanan here. I'm sorry that you've been locked up for so long in your house. But you know, I've been locked up for the last five years, and the great answer is dancing. And can I say, your dancing is quite remarkable. I congratulate you from the bottom of my heart. I wish I could say the same about your dad's dancing, but alas, I can't. Anyway, I wish you all the best. And if you happen to see that pop-up book, do let me know. Bye-bye, Henry. Bye. Ciao now. So, again, this is just a wonderful example of a celebrity who wasn't paid or asked to do this, that just saw this on social media and responded in a very kind, heartwarming way. My hat is off to you, Hugh Grant, or I guess I should say Phoenix Buchanan. And it just makes me want to go back and watch Paddington 2 all over again because it's so great. One of those rare movies we agree on, Jeffrey. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. Cole and I will continue to be here in quarantine, but we're going to continue to bring you the very best in entertainment here on Screen Cleaning. Cole, where can people find our show? Well, we're on BYU Radio every Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific, or anytime on the podcast. If you want to go back and check out any of our previous shows, any of the movies that we've seen, or go back and check out the movie reviews we had back when there were movies in the theater, you can check out the podcast just by Googling Screen Cleaning Podcast. That's going to do it for this episode. Until next week, I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And we'll see you next time. 